this is going to change the way we do medicine, and this is going to change the way we see patients and patients see our doctors. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. All right, welcome back to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. My name is Shane Tenney and glad to have uh, you with us today. Unless you've been hiding under a rock for the last five or six months, you've undoubtedly been introduced to a whole new vocabulary with words like chat GPT, Bing chat, Google Bard. All of these are highly advanced artificial intelligence models that are infecting our classrooms, our offices, and certainly even our podcasts as we all begin and get the chance to start playing around with what feel like real-life conversations with computers. In fact, they're so real-life that, in my experience, they have about the same accuracy level as speaking with my teenagers. Well, I'm excited to bring to you today a conversation uh, with Dr. Harvey Castro. Harvey's an emergency room physician, healthcare consultant, a CEO, a serial entrepreneur, an author, and just a real thought leader in this space around AI. So we're going to talk a little bit about what things look like now in the world of AI and medicine and maybe where they're headed. Harvey, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is such an honor and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's start maybe at the ground floor for someone who's listening and says, you know, I think I heard about chat GPT on read the radio a couple months ago, maybe can you just level set? What is artificial intelligence? What falls under the umbrella of that term? Well, specifically, just to give an example, would be let's talk about ChatGPT and, and let's apply that to artificial intelligence. And that way, can I can give a real example. So think of it as a computer model that can respond to any of your questions. And your first response would be like, oh, Google does that because I just type in something and it does the same thing. Well, here's the difference. I give it the analogy of your best friend that may be the smartest person that you ever have known, and you can call him 24-7, ask him anything you want, and he or she will always respond. And that is literally ChatGPT. You can ask it anything, anything under the sun, as long as it's not anything criminal or something that would be against any ethical rules, it will answer back. And if you do try to ask it something crazy, like, how do I build a bomb? It will tell you. I, I'm not programmed to tell you that. Nice. And so you have, so artificial intelligence is, I guess, really the word that we've given to really sophisticated computer programs that can assimilate almost an infinite amount of information to formulate an answer. Correct. And what's amazing to me is, depending on what you're asking, the accuracy is unreal. And not to get into really details, sometimes it's really hard to discern if that information coming to you is true or false because it sounds so real and sounds so correct that I always say to people, it's interesting, you ask a question because you don't know, yet the answer back, you need to verify that answer because if you don't, it could be totally false and you think it's correct. In reality, it's false. Yeah, That's no. called hallucination if you go out and look at it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so these... Artificial intelligence communication tools have been getting all the headlines for the last couple months. Is artificial intelligence really that new, or are we just now starting to see 
the bigger societal impacts? So that's an awesome question. Honestly, it's been around for years. If you want to take it back to the first days, if you look at World War II and Alan Turing, and he came up with that first artificial intelligence. And because of him is why we won World War II. But just it's been around. If you think about it, even like you mentioned earlier, just starting your email and it does that autocorrect or suggestions or depending how which email account, it sometimes tries to help you with the writing. I know I'm big on Grammarly. Every time I do any text now, I have it on my text app and it'll correct me and it'll tell me this is the right tone or not. And so it's all around us. I know the easier example would be Siri. Even your nav system in your car that you use or don't use, uh, it's often used on your phone. So it's all these kind of things are around us. I just think that the reason it's gotten so much press is because it advanced so much that when OpenAI released their ChatGPT equivalent in late November, people were just blown away with what it could do. It is pretty impressive. And by the way, so let's just uh, pause here and give some practical application. Somebody is listening to this and realize they've heard the words chat GPT, but they don't really know what it is. Anybody can go onto the website and try it out, right? Yeah, it's free. How do you do that? Explain a little bit of what that process is like. Yeah, so you literally go to openai.com or (laughs) this is crazy. I think uh, OpenAI spent $2 million so that you could type in ai.com and it takes you to the same website. And then literally, if you have a Gmail account or Google account or Microsoft account, you can literally use that to log in. If not, it'll make you create a login. And literally, it's ready to go. And what you'll get for not paying, it's version 3.5, which is pretty still good. And you literally can ask it anything. So from a practical point of view, say you are a diabetic and you want to know what to eat tonight for dinner, you can literally say, I'm a diabetic, but I'm also allergic to eggs and I don't like broccoli give me a meal plan tonight and I need it to feed three people. And it literally will type it up and tell you. And then you can say after that response, say, hey, make a grocery list so that I know exactly how much to buy and it'll tell you what to buy. And then you can go to the grocery store and get it, which is crazy. It is crazy. So when you've been at the forefront of this, you've written a book recently, I think called Chat GPT and Healthcare. Transition a little bit, fill us in on your story What about your background, Harvey, has kind of just kept all this at the forefront of your thinking and put you in the position to put your thoughts down in in your book? Yeah. So I have to give this backstory. So back in the day, I can't believe I'm saying this, when the first iPhone came out, I remember buying it, being all excited. I was working in the emergency room, coding a patient. And I remember telling the nurse, hey, let's start this uh, medicine to save this person's life. And it was an IV drip. And I remember the nurse opening up a textbook, thumbing through, finally found the drug, found the drip rate and started it. And I looked at her, I'm like, there's got to be a faster way to do this. This is taking too long. So I had this aha moment and I literally taught myself how to program and put out an app called IV Meds back then. And it was the top 10 apps in the world. Fast forward, I started playing with ChatGPT and I thought, oh my gosh, it reminded me of the time when I opened up and created that IV Meds app and how it changed patient care. And I thought, you know, this was early on, literally it had just been released. I thought, this is going to change the way we do medicine. And this is going to change the way we see our patients and patients see our doctors. And I thought, let me write a book from 10,000 feet high, how to use this technology, how to look at it. And since January till now, I think I have like 10 books out now on different subjects of ChatGPT and how to use it. Because I see so many uses that I think 
we're just the beginning stages of this technology. All right. But now I got to ask you to be honest. Did you write these books or did you just tell ChatGPT to write the book for you? Yeah. Awesome question. (laughs) I always ask ChatGPT to help me with the outline because I, I don't know what to put in a book. And as each month has evolved and each book has evolved, I've been dependent more on ChatGPT, what's called prompt engineering, basically how to use ChatGPT and how to maximize ChatGPT. But ChatGPT is not writing the book. I am kind of guiding the ship, telling it which what I want, what subjects I want explored. But then I want to be complete. So literally, I would ask ChatGPT, is this cover all the topics in this book? Is there any other chapters that I should talk about? And I keep asking it to keep giving me. So by the time I start my first table of contents, by the time I publish, it's probably three or four generations because I'm like, okay, I keep finding more and more topics that I want to add, which is really fun. But to be honest, I use it as an extra tool to help me as I call it my brainstorming sessions or when I have writer's block, it really does help me. I know I've explored the free version of ChatGPT. Is there a paid version that offers more functionality or services? Yeah. So they came up with ChatGPT4. It came out in early March. And 4 does what's called less hallucination, meaning it makes less errors. It still makes errors, but less. But then the beauty is it has to do with the amount of memory. So on Chat3.5, when you ask it questions, it'll give you back about a page response if you want, or maybe half a page. But With the next edition, you can actually put in, I want to say it's like 10 or 40 pages worth of information and it can give it back. So in in essence, I could take an article, put the whole thing into ChatGPT and say, hey, summarize this whole article for me. And it'll actually summarize the entire article. And then if I say, okay, give me a positive review, a critique on this article, I can insert the article, it'll read it, and then it will write back a positive or negative review of that article that I just pasted. And so ChatGPT4 allows more information to be placed in it, which is crazy. (laughs) And then the other part that's really cool, as a doctor, I came up with this one. This is just my personal eye in the sky thing that I think it will be able to do. One of the new features is you can take a picture of anything and upload it to ChatGPT4. And then ChatGPT4 will look at the picture and understand what it's looking at and give you information back. So it's called bimodal or just gives you another way of using it. They haven't released this to the public, but they said it's on beta. So I would assume it's coming soon. But basically as an ER doctor, I see a lot of overdose patients. And some of those overdose patients obviously are unconscious and the paramedics will bring in empty bottles or bottles of pills. And I don't know what's in these pills because there's just all different shapes and sizes and colors. So what I was thinking is you could take a picture of the pill That could go into a database, could go to poison control, analyze what pill it is based on the symptoms that I say, hey, patient's doing X, Y, Z. It'll say, oh, it's this pill because these are consistent with this disease. And then simultaneously, you would connect that to the pharmacy so that the pharmacy would be like, oh, Dr. Castro has an overdose, a Tylenol overdose. Let me go ahead and send him the antidote. And so within seconds, under a minute, that whole process would be possible. And I would already have the drug being sent to me as opposed to currently I have to figure out what that pill is, call poison control, wait on the phone for a while, go through the case with them. They would be like, oh, I think it's this, this, look for that. And then it would take a while as opposed to being able to take that picture, analyze it, and then work it. So that's one way of ChatGPT4 will be able to be used in medicine. That is phenomenal. Now, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about the difference between ChatGPT and bio GPT. 
because you've crossed the great divide into the application of healthcare. And I want to explore that a little bit more. If you've been in practice for a few years, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you found that your income is near its peak potential, and yet you are still not sure where the money is going or what to do with the surplus? Do you have cash piling up in your checking account because you don't have the time to figure out where else to direct it? Are finances a source of confusion or even conflict in your marriage? Take control of your finances by downloading the free budgeting guide for mid-career docs. The Prosperous Doc Podcast is underwritten by the financial planning firm of Spa Dameron Tenney, and you can download this free budgeting guide for mid-career docs at sdtplanning.com and click on financial resources. Don't let another month of money confusion go by when you have access to free help. Again, the website is sdtplanning.com. Click on financial resources to download the free budgeting guide for mid-career docs. So Dr. Harvey Casper, we were talking right before the break, you were giving an idea of how some of the functionality in chat GPT 4.0 or 4.0 could work in an emergency department. There is a tool out there, I think called BioGPT. How is that similar or different, or were you really referring to that in your previous example? No, actually, ChatGPT4 can do it. BioGPT, think of it this way. Uh, They call it garbage in, garbage out. So think of it this way. Whatever database you use to create this artificial intelligence, if you put bad data in it, then when you ask it something, it's going to give you bad data out. To use that analogy, what if you created another database, let's call it a large language model, and let's give it a name, let's call it BioGPT. Well, in that particular model, they're using the database, which is all PubMed, or only references that are from medical sources that have references and that have been used in medicine. And so right off the cuff, anytime you ask it anything medical, it should give you a medical response because it can only think from a medical database. As opposed to ChatGPT has been given a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so when you ask it something, it may pile into its brain and say, oh, this might be law question. Let me answer it this way. And in reality, it's wrong. It's hallucinating. It's not correct. It's not even medically sound, but it sounds good, but it's wrong. Whereas BioGPT is coming from a pure healthcare source. So in theory, it should mess up when you ask it something about how to fix a car. But if you ask it about something from a human being or something from cardiology, in theory, it should be very right on. It should be spot on, in fact. And so BioGPT would just be fine-tuned for medical vocabulary and phraseology and things like that to potentially, I guess, be a little bit more effective in clinical type of application or diagnosis or translation a little bit. Correct. And so for a doctor, in theory, you should be able to put in the symptoms of, hey, patient comes in with XYZ, what disease could it be? And then it should accurately give you a response and it should be pretty spot on. So as a lover of technology and a clinician and a big ideas entrepreneur, what are you seeing either currently taking place in medicine, in hospitals, in healthcare, where there's an intersection? And what do you see maybe coming down the pike? So right now, 
there isn't anything official that is allowed at the hospitals. In fact, the hospitals have taken, because of HIPAA, they've taken the opposite approach. They're actually locking computers from being able to go to OpenAI. They're telling their employees not to go to ChatGPT. Part of it outside of the HIPAA issues is intellectual property. If you are asking it to help you with your patent and you put in your patent, technically you've given that information to OpenAI and technically now it's in its server and in its brain. So it's hard to say if, Shane, you decided to look up that same patent that it wouldn't just give it to you unknowingly. So there's a lot of dangers and risks. How do I see healthcare using this? What's interesting is patients and doctors I see are still going to do it, even if the hospital says no, even if your own doctor says, no, don't do it it's going to be another Dr. Google issue. The way, not that I'm promoting my book, but what I've been writing in my books is how to use it the right way and how to make sure that all this information is vetted by the right person. Meaning if you have a dermatology question and you ask ChatGPT, maybe your cardiologist may not be the right doctor to answer that because they're not in dermatology. The same analogy for doctors, doctors are being told don't do it. But at the same time, if it's two in the morning, an ER doctor is tired and stumped and has no idea what this patient could have, it doesn't hurt, in my opinion, to put in the symptoms, put in the identifiers, just to put in the symptoms into ChatGPT and x-ray findings and whatnot, and ask it, what is the differential diagnosis? And what's interesting, I've talked to many colleagues, and they are using ChatGPT in that way. So it's like a second brain. The problem is everything new ends up being taboo. So doctors are kind of being shamed, like, why are you using that? Where you know, fast forward five, 10 years ago, we were using our phones. They were giving us a hard time for using our phones, but now it's common knowledge that you're using your phone to look up things. We're just using ChatGPT versus looking up some encyclopedia book. We're actually using a different type of encyclopedia. Yeah. And not to mention hospital policy, but of course the regulatory issues will make sure to trail behind by five or 10 years. Exactly. Now, let me ask you another, clearly one of the biggest factors or big players in just healthcare in general is not just the clinical side, um, like the OR, or the emergency room, but is also the payer and the insurance side and the, yeah, just the insurance side. Are there any applications that have occurred to you to help streamline insurance or billing or any of those sorts of things? Yeah. Epic, one of the largest electronic medical records have come out and said that they're working with Microsoft, they're working with OpenAI, and they're working to integrate all of those technologies into the EMR. What that tells me is that they are using the power of GPT to summarize, create billing codes, to streamline the process. What I foresee happening, I've already seen some test models of this, and it's quite interesting where the future will be you walk into your doctor and there won't be any typing. There won't be your doctor looking down at the keyboard or something else. There'll just be a conversation. And there's an AI listening to the entire conversation, transcribing everything that was done. If allowed, I could see a camera being on the doctor and the patient. So then the camera knows if what part of the physical exam was done and what wasn't done. And all of that was put into a summary. But what's fascinating when I saw this one demo, for the doctor side, it's seeing how many times the patient said fatigue, sleepness all these symptoms, and it gives you like this circle of different symptoms. And then the AI will put it all together and, and start giving you a differential diagnosis and what tests you should consider. And I thought, man, this is pretty amazing because I could see it being more probability. Okay, it's a 20% probability of this, 30% of that. You need to rule out the following disease. 
Uh, I have a friend of mine that's in risk management and he, Dr. Sullivan has uh, great information and, and information. I can see him putting all that risk factors into the GPT equivalent so that the EMR now has another brain, which is risk management. He's a lawyer and a doctor and it goes through. So the permutations that are about to hit the market is going to be huge. And I think in the end, it's going to help our patients because I think, well, as a human, we'll make less mistakes and also we'll be able to do more for our patients. Yeah, it's interesting as you introduce Epic because 15 years ago or so when EMR started to just you know become mandatory and so many practices and hospitals were adopting and assimilating and the exhaustion and the fatigue and the stress for physicians learning a new system and then having to spend hours charting their appointments and learning the entry points and things like that. In some ways, I almost hear the scenario you're describing as being a pendulum coming full swing, where now, oh, I don't have to spend an hour and a half charting because there's some AI listening to all my appointments and logging that in the correct way in real time as we go through the day yeah, with greater accuracy and better billing and correct coding. Yeah, all the pain points for our doctor and the healthcare staff that's just tired of doing the repetitive work give all the pains and things that are repetitive and not fun to the AI and let the AI do its magic and then let you do the part that you love, which is taking care of patients. The other part that I find fascinating is there's all this extra work being placed on chatbots. And I foresee a huge rise in many websites and companies having a chatbot to help you make your appointment with your doctor, help you schedule, help you get information. I'm just excited to see where we are in six months to 12 months from today with all the different technologies coming. I I really think it's going to change many things in medicine. I almost see or can feel as you're describing this and kind of piggybacking off of what I just said, the clinician maybe in five or 10 years will get to return to just practicing medicine with chat GPT or other AI tools taking the business and the bureaucracy and the dictation and the billing and the coding and automating it so the provider can humanize the care. Yeah, I see that coming. The ER doctor and the uh, double-edged sort of things, the way I see things is I wouldn't be surprised if we become efficient, we have more time with our patients, but then the insurance company says, okay, the new average, you know, instead of spending the national average is 13 minutes with your patients. Say we now get to spend 30 minutes with our patients. And then the insurance company is back and says, well, you're doing all this in seven. So we're only going to pay you for like seven minutes. And then you need to start seeing more patients. We need to cover the cost of all this new technology. So we need to see uh, 20 patients an hour. Yeah. 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 What about, have you thought through some of, I don't know, the social or the ethical challenges or considerations? Where are those rubs going to show up? That you oh, can see this at is a this great point. Question. So I'm glad you asked. So number one, I mean, there's so many levels, but let's just talk about bias. So bias in ChatGPT, going to my earlier comment of garbage in, garbage out. If ChatGPT is only aware, I'm going to make this up, of breast cancer in women that are 50, then anyone that asks a question about breast cancer, and let's say they're a different ethnic group or a different age, it's going to be biased and give information only for that 50 year old woman. And it's going to have inherent biases where other doctors in the world, if they don't know about that, they may apply and it may not apply to their population because they may be West Africa, they may be Asia. So at that point, it's wrong information and it's biased and it's pushing a certain idealism. So that's wrong. 
Another area of this, my concern, is the have and the have-nots. Let's pretend that OpenAI tomorrow, they literally spend about $800,000 a day to run this ChatGPT, a, a day. So let's pretend that in the near future, they turn around and say, okay, if you want to use ChatGPT, yeah, it was free, but now we're going to charge 50 bucks for 3.5 and we're going to charge 100 bucks for 4.0. Now, all of a sudden, those that were, I was saying, hey, if you learn more, you're going to have better health care. Maybe you'll do better, more preventive medicine. Maybe you'll do better things for your health. Now, if it's cost prohibitive, well, ethically, then that's wrong because now you're creating two parts of society, one that has the ability to ask ChatGPT anything, and it's a strong engine. And then you have a population that can't afford it. And so from an ethical point of view, you know, what do you do? Because technically, you're helping. And I can make a strong argument that if I can educate a patient, and let's just think of the example of smoking. Back in the day, people didn't know smoking was bad, but now it's like common knowledge. Like, oh yeah, of course I'm not going to smoke. It's going to do all these bad things. But take it 10 years from now where maybe ChatGPT becomes such a tool or any GPT comes a tool to help us. And now we're learning so much medicine that we're actually living better. We're living longer. But then let's say we charge one group more money to use this and then the other one can't afford it. Ethically, this is going to be an issue. That golf already exists in so many ways where yeah. resources and functionality and capability and technology are available to a subset of the population and not available to others. And so this can exist as well. We keep using chat GPT as our proxy for all artificial intelligence. It's not the only one. Of course, Google would like to remind us they intend to be a big player in this too. Do you see material differences between Bing's chat, Google's Bard, chat GPT? Is there one that seems to be at the forefront of this race? At this point, or are we waiting for it to shake out like satellite radio did 20 (laughs) years ago? No, let's talk about this. Number one, Bard actually was created by Google. But if you think about it, or if you, I don't think many people know about this, they, Google was actually who invented all of this. They're the ones who were the leaders of GPT. They're the ones who first coined it back in 2011. It's just that ChatGPT has gotten it to a certain point that they released it to people. And it's kind of, I call it like Kleenex, like we all have using it. And so even I make the mistake of, I call it ChatGPT, but in reality, it may be Bard that I'm talking about. And so to answer your question, who is the leader? I personally think ChatGPT4 is the leader. Then after that, it's 3.5. And then after that, Bard is behind. I think they're below 3.5 personally, Um, but they're there. Now, fast forward, where will they be? I think it behooves them. There's a lot of money involved in here to catch up. And I think they will. And then to add to the mix, this guy called Elon Musk, I'm sure you've heard of him, he um, decided to create Truth GPT. And my guess is in the next six months, he'll have his own equivalent of ChatGPT and he'll, he'll have it out. So I wouldn't be surprised that in six months, we'll have another flavor and it'll be his. And I wouldn't be surprised if his is pretty good. Super interesting. So as we wrap up, what do you see as being the main takeaways for somebody listening to this? You know, I'll say a, a lay physician, a lay healthcare provider who's a little bit new to the world. What's the takeaway you would want them to have from the conversation? So two things. I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to, I forgot to say one more thing. On Bing, Bing Copilot, that's actually ChatGPT plus the internet, four. So it's ChatGPT four plus the internet. That's what Copilot Bing is. So just so people know that. And so where's the future? In healthcare, I sincerely think the following. The genie is out. We need to learn this artificial intelligence. Instead of fighting it, we need to be the leaders as doctors and healthcare providers, because if we're not the leaders in this technology, if we're not the ones 
shaping the software, telling the software how business leaders, how this would be best for our patients, then guess what? It's going to be Microsoft that's going to dictate how healthcare should be done. It's going to be the big leaders of software that's going to push the way we should be using it. And in reality, it should be the other way around. We should be the ones telling Microsoft, this is how we should be using this technology. And so fast forward, I'm somewhat promoting, I did create a LinkedIn group called ChatGPT and Healthcare. I call it AI and Healthcare. And I'm looking for doctors, lawyers, programmers, patients, just anybody that wants to know more about this. Because I figured together, we are going to make a difference. Together, we're going to make those choices. And that's my take home is learn more about AI. I call it the good, the bad, and the unknown. Learn all those things. And then together, let's work on things that we can help our patients. And even if you're not using it to create a tool, you yourself are going to have influence over your own patients. So teach them the good and the bad about this technology. Excellent. Well, and you were kind enough to point people in the right direction. If you haven't explored or tried out or played with ChatGPT, first of all, you can always ask your kids. I can promise you that they have, but uh, definitely you can go to AI.com. It's free and uh, start putting in your random questions just like you did when you got your first Siri or Alexa and uh, see what you get back. Dr. Harvey Castro, thanks so much for being with us today and uh, opening our eyes to what is and what's it to come with regard to artificial intelligence. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you for being here. As always, welcome your reviews, your suggestions on Apple Podcast, Google Play. Um, You can email me, Shane at White Coat Well, and uh, welcome your suggestions. Thanks. We'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.